back to the latest edition of the Audible. I'm Bruce Feldman. No Stu Mandel. He is on vacation. He's had his fill of NBA Finals, and I think he's in Hawaii or somewhere like that. Uh, but I am pleased to be joined by an old friend who is now a colleague again, and that is former Ohio State and Minnesota Vikings great Robert Smith, who is the one of the newest members of our Fox and Fox Sports college football team. Robert, thanks for joining us. You got it, Bruce. I'm your old, old friend. I know. You were one of the few people. I mean, I knew Rob Stone, you know, probably before you, and I knew Liner, but I never worked with him, obviously. Uh, so I was excited when I heard you were coming to work with us. Before we get into that, uh, we're taping on Monday morning. It's not, you know, it's basically 12 hours ago. The Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA title and ended a more than a century, a half century drought for Cleveland fans. You're from Euclid, Ohio. You grew up right in the shadows of Cleveland. What does this mean to you that that a Cleveland team won a professional sports title? I got to tell you, man, it was so exciting for me. I was so charged up and, you know, I was standing for the last five minutes of the game and, it, you know, part of me was like, uh, something terrible is going to happen again. You know, I, when uh, the Indians lost uh, back in uh, 97, I think it was, uh, in Game 7, we were just getting back into the locker room uh, from, a, from a game. And so we were able to see the end of that one and, you know, the single up the middle, like, oh, God, no, don't tell me this happened again. And then LeBron James goes down with like 10 seconds ago. Like, what crazy thing is going to happen here? And then, of course, you know, they win it. I see LeBron, you know, I see him hunched over, sobbing. Tears started to flow from me. I'm just, it, it, it's so much more than sports for Cleveland. Like, the city's just been through so much and, and being born in Cleveland and raised in Euclid, which borders Cleveland on the east side, right on the lake. I mean, it, I was just so happy for the city uh, and for the fans and for LeBron uh, in coming back. Uh, you know, it just it, it couldn't have been any more perfect. Let me ask you, I mean, I don't know exactly. We're almost the same age. I mean, where were you when the, the drive happened and Ernest Biner's fumble? Like, were you in high school then or junior high? Yeah, see, now here's the funny thing. I, that's the one sport that I'm not a, a Cleveland fan I'm, I grew up a Steelers fan, uh, which is absolute sacrilege up there, of course. But, you know, I mean, the era of yeah. Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, and Lynn Swan, all, you know, that whole cast of characters. But I was in high school, and, and, I, and I was pleased. <laughs> I mean, there's no two ways about it. When I, when I saw those plays happen, I was like, yes, thank God they're going to lose. Did you think about... Uh you know, family members who just kind of who are much older than you who probably might remember Jim Brown and the last time they won or any of that stuff? Did like, I think about it? Like, I mean, are you thinking about it in context of it? Is it just like, I mean, for a lot of people, we look at it and go, okay, well, the Cubs haven't won. But if you're a, if you're a Cubs fan, chances are you're either a Bears yeah. fan or yeah. a Bulls fan. You've seen a lot of success. You know, that, that that's what I thought made this one unique. Um, and in the case of you, I mean, you know, look, you were a Steelers fan, but just to know the, the I guess, is it, is it the identity of the Cleveland fan is almost like, you know, it's almost like tied into, like, the Cubs fan. What's going to fall befall us now? Yeah, and, and, and like I said, it goes, it goes beyond sports. Like, the city, you know, the mistake on the lake, the river catching, Cuyahoga River catching on fire. You know, when I was a kid, 
so many times during movies they would have scenes where there was always a joke about Cleveland. And and so people have this negative image of Cleveland, and then you combine that with the sport, it just made it that much worse. And then, of course, the Believe Land movie this year, mm-hmm. uh, talking about Art Modell moving the team, then the Ravens winning a Super Bowl. I mean, it just it, it seemed like everything was against Cleveland. And then LeBron James leaving and winning multiple championships with Miami and then coming back. That's why it's like the, the ultimate story of redemption and deliverance. For you, you lived in Miami for, for at the time when LeBron got down there, right? It was before you... Uh, what's yeah, your, I did. You were around. I mean, you were around some great athletes and play. You know, you were obviously a great athlete yourself. But what was LeBron's legacy already cemented? I know it's kind of a, almost like a running joke on the internet, and Skip Bayless has become kind of the face of this. Of the you know, what more does he have to do? Uh, but I mean, did did LeBron have uh, to I, prove our, anything to our, you? Our new colleague, by the way. I know. I know. He's coming in with a bang. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, look, I, I kind of that, wrote that off. I didn't think LeBron had to do anything to prove his his greatness. Now, is he greater than Michael Jordan? Maybe that's where this conversation is for you as a as as a high level athlete. Uh, you know, before, I mean, what did he need to show you anything more? Uh, I don't think he needed to show anything more, but I think what he showed, you know, puts him in that puts him in that same category. I mean, the numbers when you look at and, and I heard. I mean, one thing I, I always kind of kind of roll my eyes at is when, whenever there's somebody who wins, it's almost like people want to prop up. Well, these are the reasons why the other team lost. You know, it's, there's always a way to kind of discredit it in some way. And I just think sometimes you get like the block he made last night. I think was was as a great a window into his rare athleticism. I mean, the guy he blocked now is a freak athlete too. But just the way he did it—I mean, there were things that just you just don't see. And he does that seemingly, you know, something like that every game. You know, it's pretty—it's pretty remarkable. And hopefully now, I think that there isn't—I don't know—embrace <laughs> debate or end debate. I don't think there's any more debate if there ever was one on that. Well, I mean, his uh, his durability and his endurance are one thing, Bruce, but. To me, what really stands out on that play and so many other plays that I see, like some of the alley-oops and passes that he makes, his court awareness is second to none. And as everything is moving so quickly, he just sees things that other people don't see. And I think that's what makes truly great athletes great. Um, you know, it, it's like the, the saying that people have about, um, uh, about being in a fight. And that, like a like a martial arts expert, 
like things are just slowed down for him. And you can see, and I, I, I do this a lot on these kind of plays, you go on the DVR and, and you watch him, and as a play evolves, he just sees it developing so much sooner than anybody else, but he also has the athletic ability to execute on it, which is just, it, it's just a joy to watch. Let me ask you on, on this front, because I remember this goes back to when we worked together. And I'm, I don't remember who the running back was. It might have been Adrian Peterson. It was somebody early on in their stage because this is, you know, probably six years ago. And you were talking about their patience as a running back. This will get better. And I was thinking about it. Like the position you played where things happen, you know, in a, in a heartbeat. And how, how tough is it as an athlete or how challenging is it to be patient when your heart is telling you one thing and your eyes are telling you another to, to kind of manage that? Yeah, it's 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 not easy, and it, you know I remember the like the moment it started for me. Bruce, after I got drafted, uh, one of the first things that Ty Willingham, who was a running back coach with the Vikings, did was he sat me down. I'll never forget the play. It was it was like an outside play, off tackle play against Michigan State that he was showing me from from my Ohio State career, and he slowed it down as I got to the edge, and he said. What if you had taken one extra step? Look at the scheme here. You have to be able to. You have to expect this to be able to react to it. But what if you had taken just a fraction of a second to wait for this to open? And then there's like this huge hole. But I bounced it outside and took it to the sideline. Like it, it, it really, it really opened my eyes to the way that you need to let plays develop. And, and that's really like an, an, an understanding of schemes and, and just how plays evolve. And so uh, it, it, it definitely is tough, but it's easier once you once you learn it. And and you know to to learn it, somebody has to point that kind of thing out to you. And I think you know with LeBron James, uh, you know he's somebody that expects these things, that looks for these things, and because he's such a great athlete, uh, he can he can react to them. Yeah, are there running backs, like I know there are quarterbacks who just never can see it. I know this from working on my book. Are there running backs who just can never fight off their own instincts and just kind of ram it in there or don't have the patience or never can do that at the NFL level? Mm-hmm. Do you know of any? Or I mean, I'm not saying you'd call them out, but like are there guys that that's just they could never throttle down or didn't have the patience I, or the vision? Absolutely. Yeah. I, absolutely. You know, back to, back to Ty Willingham because I, I think – I credit him really for, you know, changing the way that I ran the football. You know, he would say you have more time than you think and you have less time than you think. Um, but, you know, it all starts with understanding where the scheme is. Uh, but, uh, you know, I definitely saw a lot of guys, like, they, their head would be down. And it's probably because, you know, they, their reaction time just wasn't there. Um, you know, if – if, if you're just if you're trying to read everything, if you're just trying to see, okay, this is where I need to go, this is where I need to go, and and do it piece by piece, you'll never be able to do it. Like it's a feel. Like you have to you have to feel flow, and you have to see color, and 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 your eyes. It, it, it's like you don't focus on any one thing. You're just looking at an area, and your body just kind of does it but you really have to train yourself to be able to do that mm. you know I, as we're talking about LeBron it dawned on me uh, you know Jay Brophy at all 
Do you remember that name? Do I know who? Jay Brophy. Brophy, is he, the, is he the, the guy that does Brophy football? No, no, no. So Jay Brophy was an oh. old All-American linebacker at Miami. He's much older than you. But So when I was working on my Miami book, this is 15 years ago, I remember I called him up, and he was a high school coach in Ohio. And as soon as I got his voicemail, he called me back. And he goes, I bet I know what this is about. Yes, he was. And he started talking about LeBron as a football player. I said, no, I'm actually calling you because I want to talk about your career. And we talked about, you know, him being a, you know, he played on like the Schnellenberger teams and, and everything. And then I think he played in the NFL for like four or five years. But he was LeBron James football coach at that high school. So he had this amazing perspective because he had played at a high, in the highest level Yet he had coached this, you know, ridiculous athlete. When you were at the Vikings, uh, you played with Randy Moss. I'm not saying he's the closest comparison to to LeBron because what is Randy six four and LeBron six eight? And um, what what kind of NFL player do you think LeBron would would have been if he ch- opted to go that route? Yeah, actually, I think I saw this in one of your books. <laughs> I can't remember which. Wasn't that in? It was, I don't think it was in Swing Your Story, but I think I remember I remember seeing something about him talking about LeBron James. Yeah. Um, and the thing that stood out to me, Brophy's comments about him, was just what a student of the game he was, how well he understood what was going on out there. So if he wanted to be a great football player, he would have been. I, I, don't, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind. You know, I think the one thing that separates, you know, football from Basketball, obviously, is, you know, basketball is a contact sport and football is a collision sport. Uh, but I have no doubt in my mind that he also would have had the physical toughness uh, to be able to adapt to the physical nature of the game. All right, let's pause real quick to tell you about our sponsor. It is our old friends, Books, Books.com. And as if you guys remember, this was, this was a huge key for Stu keeping his relationship afloat back around Valentine's Day. So or Mother's Day, whatever that was. No woman in her right mind would turn away a peace offering from Book's Flowers. And I'll have to keep that in mind sometime because I'm sure I'll screw up too. Uh, Here's your call to action. Listeners to our show can save 25% off the bouquet of your choice. Just go to books.com, that's B-O-U-Q-S.com, and enter promo code AUDIBLE. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code AUDIBLE. Books dot com, promo code AUDIBLE. Even delivery is absolutely free when you register with the Books. All right, and now let's get back to Robert. All right, so Robert, you have one of the more interesting backgrounds of, of certainly anybody we work with. Uh, you, had, you were an elite track guy at Ohio State. I think according to what I found this morning, your personal best in the 100 was a 10-2. Is that, is that accurate? I don't have... uh, no, it's not accurate. It's, <laughs> it's a little fast. I guess if they're going to lie about you, they might, it might as well be a compliment, right? No, I mean, uh, automatic timing was a 1068. I was a 400 guy. Mm-hmm. So I qualified for the Olympic trials in 92 with a 4573, and we ended up winning. I didn't end up going because I was preparing for my last season of football uh, at Ohio State. But uh, after I got drafted... We won the, the uh, 4x400 in 1993. We beat Baylor, actually. If you had not trained for football, if you had probably maybe been a little lighter, do you think you would have made the Olympic team? Um, not, not in the 400. I didn't have the foot speed. I probably should have, I should have been a, an 800 runner. 
um, you know, looking back at it, you know, a lot of a lot of 400 guys need to have like 200 type speed, and it's just different, man. And it's funny to you know to say it this way, especially to people that think, oh man, you're so fast. Like there's a different kind of fast in track, and 100 speed and 200 speed can carry you into the 400. You know, look at a guy like Quincy Watts. But I had I was I I was able to excel at the 400 and qualify for the trials because I was an endurance guy. I mean, I was I really had you know more more strength to carry that speed longer. It wasn't because I had the foot speed. So I think the 800 probably would have been my ideal race. And you know, as a as a sophomore in high school, I ran uh, in the low 150s. So uh, that that would have been my race. I think I, I don't think there's any question that I could have made the uh, Olympics in the 800. I know you have two really young kids. Do you see the the genetics passed along to them in terms of the running ability at all? Or is it too soon? No, 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 it's not. It's not. I, you know, I, my, my son had his first track and field day and, uh, you know, he's got the jumping. My daughter's definitely got the running, uh, but neither one of them is, is a, a, a terribly interested, uh, in competing right now. But aren't, isn't your son like four years old though? It's still early, right? Yeah, it's still early. My <laughs> son's four, my daughter's about to be six. So, uh, it takes a little bit of time, but um, yeah, I, I definitely see the ability in both of them, and that's that's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, so I'd mentioned some of your interests. You had actually been on Mystery Science Theater 3000 a couple times? Yeah. How did that come about? <laughs> How did that come? I was the first uh, guest, uh, uh, guest to make an appearance on the show. How did that come about? Um, you know, the, the show was filmed, like, literally five minutes from the Vikings practice facility, and I... I Growing up in high school, was a huge fan of the show. Actually, my college roommate was my be- still my best friend, but my best friend from high school. Um, and his mother actually used to tape the episodes and send them to him and us when we were in college. So we were just huge fans of the show. And so when I got up to the Vikings, I found out that some of the guys were also fans of it, and we would go and uh, we would go and watch them. Uh, and I went over there a few times, and and one of them said, you know, would you mind uh, or would you like to be a guest on the show? And it was like, you know, yeah, now I can die a happy man. Mm. One of the things I always thought was interesting is I remember when we worked together, and I'm trying to remember if it was like 2008 or nine or whatever it was, but when you played in the NFL, it seemed, from what I remember you talking about was, that you were not paying attention to college football. Like, I think a lot of right. pe- a lot of fans assume, okay, you know, and this is, maybe some guys are like this where they live or die with their alma mater or whatever, and they're f- focused on that. But but you guys are too busy that. So was it almost like a kind of a black hole that, you know, six or six years or so when you were in the NFL where you just, you weren't paying attention at all, so you just don't have any, any, any recollection of it? No, I, I mean, I just wasn't a college football fan for one thing. I didn't watch college games until I started to, to get recruited, and it was just the teams, really, that I was focusing on. So you're talking about five teams, you know, Ohio State, um, University of Miami and Florida, uh, UCLA, USC, uh, and, you know, kind of watching Michigan as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I never watched it. And it, was, it was a complete shock to me. I got into this, you know, I got into the, to the business by accident. Uh, an agent, uh, Jim Ornstein, uh, uh, had seen me do some interviews uh, around a book that I released in 2004 and asked me if I'd be interested in television. And my literal answer was, do you mean like 60 minutes or something like that? (laughs) And he said, well, let's start with sports. So yeah, 
was it your decision or was it somebody in Bristol's decision to say, hey, we're going to steer you to, I mean, because you, you were one, went to a couple of Pro Bowls. You easily could have, could have been, you know, on the NFL side. Why did you, they, why did you end up on the college side instead of NFL? Yeah, well, it, it, it was because of, well, you know, what's his name? Uh, the guy that, uh, Albert? No. Uh, oh, geez. I'm, his name is escaping me now. Uh, the guy that was on with, uh, with Mark May. Oh, Lou Holtz. No, 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 no. Before him. <laughs> oh, Trev Alberts. Trev, Trev Alberts. Alberts. Yeah, Trev sorry. Alberts. Trev, Trev Alberts got fired, and like a, a few weeks later, coincidentally, I happened to be going up there, uh, you know, to, to be interviewed. So they, they, they needed somebody in college football, so that's that's kind of how it happened, oddly enough. Wow. Uh, you ever wonder if you had done, done NFL, would, you know, would your interest have been different or... You know, would it have been a more um, easier transition for you? Um, it, it, it definitely would have been an easier transition just because, you know, you know how it is with college football. I mean, everything's turning over constantly, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, there's so much to learn, and there's so many. I, I, I mean, I just didn't know anything. I didn't know any of the names. I probably, literally, I probably could have named five Ohio State players uh, when I first took the job in Bristol, and... Uh, no, really, no other players in the game. You know, maybe Reggie Bush and Matt Liner. But you were a high academic guy. Was it literally becoming studying, looking at? Because I remember you would have the Phil Steele guide everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. Was it just the, that much? Because I mean, you you're on it when you're in studio. Like I would make the case, and I don't want to make say any specific name here, but I remember there was a guy that we both worked with who I thought was a pretty good game analyst, but if he was in studio, because he would have Bristol days, you know, you could get exposed just because you don't know what the news of the day is going to be. Now, it doesn't mean you can't research it that morning, but just, you know, if you're doing a game, you study the players of the game, you watch film of it, you're immersed in those two teams, and you were doing studio. I remember we did that Overdrive show. It was me, you, and Dari Noka. You didn't know what game you might be thrown into. So now maybe you don't need to know who the third team, you know, safety is, but, you know, you still want to speak intelligently of them. So, I mean, you were in the deep end of the pool there, even if no one, even if no one was watching the deep end of the pool maybe, on that Yeah, show. I mean, you really had to be, and, and I think, you know, because I was, like, paranoid of being caught off guard with a question that I didn't know the answer to, I would, you know, just, you just have to dig deep. I mean, I, the way I describe it is, you know, Working in college football for television and, and radio now is it's like a really fun, complicated class. And you can get as deep as you want. You know this. I mean, you can learn everything about recruiting. You can learn everything about the players that play. You can dig into the philosophy of certain defensive styles. Uh, why You can learn, uh, you know, why it's used against certain offenses and why certain offense, offensive schemes developed to counter what that defense is doing. Like, nobody can know everything about it. I just want to know as much about it as I possibly can. You didn't obviously grow up, like you said, as an Ohio State fan. You had a rocky time there where you thought about leaving, right? It was it was pretty well publicized at the time. You, you didn't – was – how how smooth was the relationship after you left? Or I mean, was it just just that in that instant, or was it something that took some time to kind of smooth over? No, I mean it was it was one specific coach that told me uh, you know to to miss class and and to show up at practice instead. 
Um, I didn't want any part of it. You know, I was a 19-year-old kid. The guy wanted me off the team. He basically bullied me off the team. It worked for a while. Uh, I thought about transferring to USD and to Stanford, and that's actually how I met Denny. Um, you know, Denny and, and Ty were out there. So uh, on draft day, actually, when I got the call from Denny, uh, the first thing he said to me on, on the phone was, um, I let you get away once. I'm not going to let it happen again. So it was pretty cool. Uh, but, yeah, when I came back to Ohio State, you know, everybody – I shouldn't say everybody. The vast majority of people uh, welcomed me back with open arms. Herbie was the quarterback and, you know, I had some other great friends on the team that were glad to have me back. And uh, because it wasn't really with John Cooper specifically, uh, you know, there were, there were really no other issues that way. Um, how, how, how much different you think your story would have been if it happened in this day and age of social media? I'm not saying you would have necessarily lit somebody up on Twitter, but <laughs> – you know, things things can hit a boiling point in a different way now than they certainly would have then, uh, you know, 20, 25 years earlier, right? Yeah, I mean, you can also look at it from the perspective of the coach. With uh, the way social media is now, I doubt the coach would have even tried it, um, you know, in this day and age. Because so many people have that social media presence, I probably would have had it too, so it probably wouldn't have taken the chance in the first place. But, but I think you're right. I mean, it, it would have been a, a, a huge story as it was. You know, I was in Sports Illustrated and all that kind of stuff. So it became a big story, but it was really distorted like it, it, because it became a crusade for academics when it was really more of a, a, of a personal struggle between me and one coach. I wonder how often that happens where the person's in the middle of it, they know all the particulars, and they get championed by people who are, I, I, I maybe saying that they have an agenda makes it sound very dirty, but it's like it, it gets stretched into different places, and I feel like that probably happens a lot in this day and age because there's so much accessibility and visibility to, these, to stories like that. Well, I think it happens all the time. You know, uh, I think a, a, a lot of people in the media have causes that, you know, that they're looking to promote or they're looking to, uh, you know, uh, maybe augment the efforts uh, by, you know, using using people. And, and the story may not be an exact fit or the individual may not be a, a, an exact fit. But, you know, as they always say, for some people, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Yeah, that's that's the business right now, it seems like. Uh, let's get on the field for a second. Your alma mater has almost nobody coming back. They have JT Barrett and you know the fewest returning starters of of anybody in in college football. What are your expectations? Do you think they can be a top five team, or is it just too many guys to replace? Man, I honestly have no idea. I can't. I mean, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to see it. It's a lot of guesswork right now, though. I mean, having. JT Barrett back is a good start, uh, but so many other pieces missing, you know, especially both offensive lines, both defensive lines, um, you know, the secondary, you know, you, you just, uh, these are, these are guys that you're evaluating on paper right now. And you just don't know how that product translates onto the field. And it's going to be so early in the season. We go on the road, uh, you know, against a, a powerful Oklahoma team. So it's, it's a lot of guesswork right now, but um, I, I don't think they'll start the season in the top five and probably shouldn't, uh, you know, based on, you know, how many how many players are, are missing. But I, I guarantee you the team will be a lot better uh, at the end of the year than they than they will be at the beginning. Yeah, last thing for you, because I know you got to run. Just as a former great running back, there's a lot of really good running backs out there this year. If you can only take one, 
I mean, is it Leonard Fournette? Is it Christian McCaffrey? Is it Dalvin Cook? Who would be the one guy you would want? Uh, I got to say Leonard Fournette. You know, it's, it's funny, like, going back to his high school days, like, he's one of those guys, like, where I get, I get like, the cartoon bubble hearts coming out from my head, you know, when I, when I talk about him. Uh, I think he's a full package. I think he's Adrian Peterson, 10 pounds heavier, and not taking anything away from the versatility uh, and, and explosion of a, of a Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook, who even injured, is a really explosive runner, but I just think Leonard Fortinette is, is, is the best of all of them. All right, Robert, we appreciate you joining us. Obviously, you can check him out on Fox this year. We're excited about that. Uh, I would also encourage you to follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is Robert26Smith, and that is his old number. Six. Two, two, six, two six, six, yes. All right, Robert. Looking forward to working with you again. Th- thanks, Bruce. Me too, man. All right, thanks take care. Time. You got it. Bye.